Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Um, I'm glad that you guys all made it today. Um, today we are going through our series, Changes, and this is our third week going through this series. I've, have y'all been liking all, all this learning about changes, how everyone changed? I think that we've been able to accept a lot of relationships that we were confused about. Um, and today we're going to be talking about like it used to be, like it used to be. And I feel like especially in our, uh, in our culture, in our country right now, there's a lot of people saying like it used to be. Things aren't like it used to be. Times are changing. And depending on where you sit on that phrase, that's either a good thing or a bad thing um, or maybe neutral. But with today's, uh, today's topic, um, I want to, as we look at how everything does inevitably change, we're also going to uh, look at a somewhat of a peculiar perspective within that. And so I want to, before we get started, I want to read this verse. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, it says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. I wanted to start with this verse to show us that Scripture is telling us while everything is changing, nothing is new. It shows this description and it unpacks this idea that the earth never changes, and yet everything within it is always changing. And to and understanding this this idea, it is saying that nothing is actually new. The world and everything in it is going through its cycles over and over again. And so whether it's every 30 years, every 200 years or so, or even every 1,000 years or so, Things will repeat themselves until the finality of time on Judgment Day. I remember um, about a decade ago uh, having a conversation with an associate pastor, and he was talking about all the political changes and like how the country has changed so much 10 years ago. And I, I remember just saying to him, well, you know, uh, the America has been formed for over like 200 years, and that's about how long a country lasts in history time. And, and it's so funny because he was like really taken back and said, yeah, you're right. I never really thought about that. And because we could look at so many different countries, so many different historical events to where every 200 years or so, there's either a revolution or a rebellion. And those are pivotal in changing a, the direction of a country, of a nation. And where we are today, just 10 years later, um, it seems like people are so focused on the idea of, of worry when it comes to change, even with our, in our nation. This world is truly temporary and insatiable. It does not have the capacity or ability to satisfy or create. Only God can. I want us to grasp that concept. Our world does not have the capacity to create anything. Even when it comes to compiling a new piece of technology, all it is is compiling things that were already here. It, that it is all just manipulating things that are already have been created. Nothing is created nor destroyed. Y'all feel me? And so understanding that, and that our earth, our, our world doesn't have the ability or capacity to do that, or to even satisfy what we, what we inevitably crave. It knows how it says that no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. It, it's a really peculiar thing to know that our desires are ever changing in a world that will never change. And that we simply just crave a new thing. As a society, as an individual, we're always changing and craving something different 
while thinking it's something new. And yet it's something that's always been repeated. I want us to, to look at three major aspects today. We're going to look at politics, we're going to look at culture, and then we're going to look at sinfulness. And so if y'all haven't heard my perspective on politics before, I encourage you to go uh, back, I think it was in October or November, where we did a series uh, um, where I did a whole message about politics. And I feel like it really gives an unbiased, neutral stance on the, the perception of politics. And it definitely is not something where it's like, I tell you, it's not about being Democrat or Republican, it's about being Christian. Now here's a voting guide. <laughs> It's nothing like that. It truly is something that takes a step back for us to look at ourselves as people rather than political leanings. When it, starting off on this today, when it comes to the aspect of changes and politics, our title being like it used to be, I want us to, to grasp a perspective when it comes to political government. We will constantly be disappointed if we put our hope in politics. We will constantly be disappointed if we put our hope in politics. No matter which side you're on, you will always be disappointed eventually when you put your hope into politics. Let me share some verses from Ecclesiastes and I'll unpack what I'm saying. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, it says, It is better to be poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it is all meaningless like chasing the wind. It's literally describing that while one generation will crave uh, and and admire the direction of one political figure, the next generation may just abandon it. it it's, it's really, when it says that it's like chasing the wind, it truly is a, a simple and complicated thing to grasp within our hearts and minds. Even if, uh, and let me, let me be real with you guys. I, I love our country. I'm a patriot. I, I, um, I love being in our country and I, I love learning a lot about our history because there's so much more spiritual implications with the foundation of America than a lot of people are widely recognized. But when I look at, uh, say, the aspect of even the view of George Washington, at one moment he was the most reputable president in our entire history. He was uh, literally, when he was elected president, they shouted, Long live King George. Um, and he rebuked the people for, <laughs> for literally just sliding right back into the very thing that they were uh, fighting against. And they, when they reelected him, they wanted to reelect him again. They wanted to, even though they made a, a term limits for a president, they wanted to reelect him again, but he refused to allow that to happen. He truly was like changing the directory of what uh, from monarchy to um, this new form of government. And while in that day he was widely, widely recognized and admired, we can pick and look at different presidents and see ones that were at one time highly uh, recognized and admired. In just shorter time in history, they're despised, they're looked at, their, their mistakes, um, their faults are magnified. And there's certain presidents that at one time were the greatest, and today there's people that view them as the worst. Y y'all get what I'm saying? We, from, I'm talking about the very first president. You can look at Abraham Lincoln. You can look at Ronald Reagan. You can look at John F. Kennedy. And there's a generational shift in the views of people that were once admired and then hated the next generation. And I'm not even trying to go into whether it's right or wrong. Uh, everyone is in, entitled to their opinion. What I'm getting at is for us to take a step back, not from uh, deciding whether or not it's right or wrong, but understanding that even if we do agree or disagree, that generations will change and they will reject uh, people that we once admired, no matter who it is. Y'all feel what I'm saying? 
And this next verse, I think it, it really helps us understand better. It says in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful, and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. I, I don't know if, how much you guys are into politics or not, but the more and more I learn about politics, the more and more I'm disgusted by it, the more and more I'm disappointed about it, the more and more I, I see how fleeting it is. And when I go back to Scripture, it affirms so much evidence that we find. And I, I'm not talking about our current president. I'm not talking about our previous president. I'm talking about the whole concept of putting our trust and imagining people to be these innocent doves that are just leading our, uh, leading our nation. This scripture, when it says, even the kings milk the land for his own profit, is that not just like on point? I mean, it, even just within the last 12 months, People, there's been dozens of politicians from both sides that have made millions of dollars from decisions that they make in their bureaucracy. While many normal Americans are suffering. And the, the point I'm getting at is, is that while everything changes in our world, Politics doesn't change. Politics don't change. There's no government body has the ability to withstand time or the withstand time or the sinfulness or faults of man. At, at the beginning, it's like being uh, it's like being planted and standing up with the time of uh, times going against that tree over and over and over and very uh, no government body is truly able to withstand the times, the sinfulness of man, the faults of man. While governments have the capacity to do good, governments do have the capacity to do good. Man's desire for power and money will always eventually corrupt it. It doesn't mean that it's always corrupt. But what we see in scripture, what we see in history, is that it is eventually going to corrupt. Even when we truly find people of integrity to lead, they will eventually either die or transition out. The Bible shows us so much history within the nation of Israel and how difficult it was to keep integrity or even godliness in the people of leadership. When, we, when you look through the books of First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, it shares such detailed descriptions of kings rising and falling within Israel and Judah. And it shows so often that it's like one king would do really good and like the whole, they would even liberate the people. All the people would come back to God, have this huge repentance moment. And then the next king, the very next king would be so wicked and cause all the people to, to be um, inflicted, cause all the people to be persecuted. And it would just be this heavy burden. And it would just be like, it's just a constant uh, good, then bad, good, then bad, then bad, then good. What I'm getting at is that, that there is a consistent rising and falling of Israel's kings and being liberated and captives over and over. There's still honor in serving patriotism. And we still have an obligation to follow, follow the, land, the laws of the land within our morals. But we also should see that hope put in politics can only go so far. It can only go so far. Sometimes for a term. Sometimes that hope can, can sustain through the term of whatever leader that's in office. Sometimes it can even serve for a lifetime. Sometimes it can serve for a generation or even a, ge a couple generations. But it will eventually fall and disappoint. Overall, understanding has to be that everything will one day fade away, even our country, whether we love it or whether we hate it. The greater hope is found in Christ. He truly is the one 
the only thing that can satisfy our hopes and promises in the way that politics and government never, never will be able to. I want to take a step back because politics is like the most abrasive thing to talk about, especially in our culture right now. And I've seen consistent people fighting over politics. People that say, well, uh, I don't see how anyone can be this or that if they're a Christian. To the point where they're literally disowning fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for something that will change inevitably. What they're putting their hope in right now will change, it will end, and it will fade away. And we are disowning people that we are supposed to stand next to for eternity because of our political views. We have put our political agenda above our Christian agenda. And I'm trying to get us to grasp that no matter the political agenda, it is not greater than Christ's agenda. Soul, souls are worth more than government. And we have been bridling our, our ability to speak our faith to others because of how much trash talk we do. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And even if we put the trash talk aside, and if we just go into loving our neighbor, we, have, we as Christians have not been fulfilling that because politics have been getting in the way. Again, in no way am I trying to project a political opinion in this part of the message. What I'm trying to project is that there's something so much more important than something that will inevitably change. Y'all feel me? And so, with ending this idea about politics, making everybody mad and upset, I want us to now look at culture. Culture. And in this, in this point, I want us to realize a truth. And that is, modern culture is not new. It is just re-rinsed history. Modern culture is not new. It's just re-rinsed history. Let me share a verse and then I'll unpack what I'm saying. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9-11, through 11, it says, History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and the future generations, and in the future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. Nothing among people is actually modern. From what, is a morally, uh, from what is morally acceptable to what is collectively hated, everything has been in motion before. I mean, even if we take a step back, just like in, uh, let's just look at fashion. Even just within a short time period, fashion repeats itself within just our, our culture and history. Now the transition of fashion is going towards um, almost like a, that 80s, 90s look. Have y'all seen that? And I remember... Just like 10 years ago, looking at like how we dress in the 80s and 90s, like, we were so stupid. Like, <laughs> we had horrible fashion. It was so ugly. And now it's like, oh, I'm, like, you're the, you're hip. <laughs> like, you, you get a, a ugly blue and red jacket. <laughs> a blue and red jacket that's like all poofy with elastic on the ends. I mean, think about how when we look back and we thought, I looked so dumb when I was in school. And now we're like, people today, younger people today are like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I'm looking, at, like even, have y'all noticed even the hair? I mean, we went from, uh, it was like, uh, what the 70s where like the Afro style was like the hit. And now all of a sudden, it's gone back to where it's like a, it's not Afro, it's the perm. The perms are coming back. Have y'all seen that? When I, I remember dropping off kids at high school and going to high schools to do clubs and seeing perms on top of kids' heads. And I was like, what have we come to? <laughs> what have we become? <laughs> but uh, what I'm getting at is that everything repeats itself, even just in our fashion. 
even when it comes to beards and being clean shaven it just rinses and repeats that's just fashion now let's look at culture and what's 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 collectively accepted and what's collectively hated when we take away our technology when we take away our clothes we behave the exact same way as our barbarian ancestors and each generation that disagrees with the previous sees others as barbaric or ignorant when we look at our, our past even just like what i was saying about the the early times of our nation we look at them as barbarians we look we look at our previous generations our ancestors are as barbaric and one day the future generations will look back at us and like those uncivilized barbarians those fools what i'm getting at is that that is always going to repeat itself. All people, take away all technology, all clothes, all people will love, hate, and desire. And the methods in which we do these things is dependent on our generation's ideas of morality. Morality is the concept of something being good or evil, something being right or wrong. And I feel like a, this, the simplest way to unpack what I'm saying when it comes to culture and how everything will repeat itself, nothing is truly new. I want us to look at the, the idea of modern sexual acceptance, this, this movement of sexual acceptance. And the, the, the whole movement of sexuality that's just, um, that uh, even with the LGBT uh, QA community. It is the most the most common argument when it comes to the church being involved with that is oh come on it's uh, we're in modern times get get rid of the old the old archaic church style people are different now and we we see things differently we know so much more than we used to this is all new you're still you're in the past y'all feel what I'm saying. That sexuality is actually consistent with being most practiced in BC times. In BC times, in the, the time where Christianity came about, Christianity was the new thing of promoting holiness and purity. It, in fact, it was widely accepted to have multiple wives, have multiple spouses, homosexuality, bestiality, uh, pedophilia, all of those things were widely accepted. There were, sexuality then was a spectrum. It was just about doing what feels good. And people are saying the exact same thing today and saying it's something new. It's something very, very old. It's something archaic. And self-control was actually the brand new thing in those times. And now it's being looked at as the outdated idea. What I'm trying to project to you is that when we just try to follow culture, we're, we're going to continuously be in a cycle, a revolving door of what's accepted and not accepted. It, it makes me think about Caitlyn Jenner, most popular transgender in our nation, being, uh, being a, a previous gold Olympic Olympian, now running for governor, and made us was woman of the year. I mean, totally promoted as being like, like the best, the best, the best. Look at this trench. It's so brave, so so outgoing. Wow, so courageous. And when it came out that uh, she is running for governor of California, she made a statement saying, "It's not fair for transgenders, uh, transgender." women to compete in women's sports. People that were born biologically male should not compete in uh, women's sports. That's like a big debate politically right now, right? He, she went from being admired and accepted to being thrown down trash and even being called a trans, transphobe, transphobic. Being a transgender and also an, a, a previous athlete and, say, and having an opinion that was different than the culture, it was immediately a revolving door. It's where 
once accepted, now demonized. What I'm getting at is that the culture will continue to cycle. It will continue to change. And it's not new. It's just repeating itself. It's re-rinsing. And so when it comes to us understanding culture and morality, truly, Scripture gives us a solid foundation. I mean, when I'm reading this, these parts about Ecclesiastes, even when I was reading about, like, for me, when I read the last, the last verse in politics about how a king will de- definitely milk the, milk the land for his own profit, when I read that, I was like, that's totally true. <laughs> that's totally on point. Well, that was written thousands of years ago. How could it be right? I'm telling you guys that Scripture is, is so consistent in truth. And it does give us a firm foundation to stand on. If we just go with the culture, we will constantly be swayed back and forth like the waving sea. We'll be like a ship with no rudder, just going whatever way the storm takes us. And we have to separate an, the idea from culture and morality when it comes to our own walk. When I'm talking about morals, I'm not talking about wearing hats in church or not wearing hats in church. I'm not talking about whether we, uh, we go with fashion trends in our culture or not. I'm talking about the moral acceptance of our culture. So I can still be a pastor today and not wear a suit. <laughs> and I'm not talking about fashionable culture. I'm talking about moral culture within our nation. And that leads me to our last point, which I, which I think is the most important in what we're talking about today, and that's sinfulness. Sinfulness. And I want this to be come across as a strong warning to us as a people. Unbridled sinfulness will always grow into a murderous monster within a society. Unbridled sinfulness will always grow into a murderous monster within a society. I'm going to share two stories. And I want to just just warn you guys that these stories are, every time I read them, it makes me feel sick to my stomach. And it was actually, uh, was, um, one of these stories was in our readings just this past week. I want us to read it, and then we're going we're gonna to look at what we're reading. In Judges chapter 19, verses 22 through 26, it describes a man that went to go get his, his concubine slash wife um, from his father-in-law's house, traveled a great distance. His, uh, she got mad at him and went back to her father's house, and he went to go uh, sway her, woo her back to come home with him, apologized or whatever he had to do. And while he was traveling back, he ended up staying, uh, staying in a place of Israel and Benjamin and, uh, because they didn't make it back home in time. And so while they're waiting, they were in the public square, and this, man, this older man came up to him and said, Oh, don't stay in the public square. You can come to my house, and I'll feed your horses, your donkeys, and, and I'll take care of you, and then you can leave in the morning. So it says at this point, While they were celebrating, behold, the men of the city, certain Worthless men surrounded the house, pushing one another at the door, and they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out that man who entered your house, that way we may have relations with him. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, please do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not commit this vile sin." Here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Please let me bring them out. Then rape them and do with to them whatever you wish, but do not commit this act of vile sin against this man. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and brought her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her all night until the morning. Then let her go at the approach of dawn. As the day began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the doorway of the man's house where her master was until full daylight. It later says that she died there. And this story, for obvious reasons, is completely disturbing. Every time I read it, it makes me feel sick. And what we're seeing in this story is within a whole society is we're seeing unbridled sinfulness. 
It's the biggest revolving door in our world, and it is our innate nature to go back to deep-dished, entitled sinfulness. The root of every sin, old and new, is found in either pride or perversion. So take a moment to look at what sin is. The Bible says in Romans that people can create new ways of sinning. But all sin is rooted in either pride or perversion. Pride is intense, extreme entitlement. Perversion is warping something from the way that it was intended. When you break down any sin, it's rooted into pride or perversion. When you mix these two together, I believe it looks a lot of like what we see in this story. And I believe it looks a lot like what we see in our generation today. With pride being labeled as entitlement, or I deserve, and perversion being unpacked as do whatever feels good, make your own path, we are forming into the kind of behavior described in this story. Today, people make up the craziest ideas on spirituality and have taken off all barriers to sin because we despise, truly, we despise the idea of being morally responsible to your creator. I think uh, social media is, is really, uh, it can be crazy, right? When we look at, anyone could be an influencer today and everyone has opinions. And there's even people that, that we know that, that at one point came to our church or came to uh, were a part of like a podcast or some way influenced, but then ended up going into like a, like a new age relativism to where like worshiped crystals and um, talked to the moon, like the pink moon the other day. Let's go dance in front of the moon and ask for it to heal us. Like crazy stuff to where it's like you're just making it up as you go because our generation has been fed the idea, do whatever feels good. All the way back to Disney. I'm not saying don't watch Disney, okay? I, I like Wreck-It Ralph. But all the way back to the, the Disney motto, old school, follow your heart. It, it has continued to perpetuate within our, our people, do whatever feels good. Even things that sound right, think about it for a moment. Even the things that sound right, like love yourself. We need to love yourself. Uh, it's like all about me, myself, being a better, uh, accepting me, loving me, doing whatever is good for me. And it, it actually sounds right. But when you actually look at um, what's most peculiar about the Satanic Bible is, is that it starts with saying, not, not to just indulge in crazy sinfulness. It doesn't even tell you to go out and, you know, sacrifice a cat or anything. It tells you to do whatever feels good. To take off any barrier that you've had and to just pursue and doing whatever feels good and loving yourself. Fulfilling your, own, your, your desires. And I want us to unpack the difference between loving yourself uh, and really fulfilling whatever your desire holds, just fulfilling our sinful hearts. We should, we should obliterate insecurities that we have. We should seek self-confidence within ourselves. We should seek self-acceptance. We, ha we have issues like that that we need to work in our heart. But we have simplified in this idea to where all barriers are off. And if it makes you feel good, then do it. Now I want us to go back to this story and understand that the men in this story are doing exactly that. They are doing what feels good to them. And not only that, they feel like they deserve to be able to do whatever they want. Th those two things are actually the essence of rape. Entitlement, thinking that you deserve something even at the expense of somebody else and doing whatever feels good to you. Entitlement and perversion, pride and perversion. And it's the only difference is that what we're seeing in this story is it's a whole society that has accepted that rather than just random individuals. And when you read this kind of story, 
the first thing you think is that that could never happen to today. That would never happen in our time. And when I think about how it, there's still people that, that just even right now, I don't know if there's a last surviving Holocaust um, uh, person. I, I don't remember reading whether or not the last one passed away. But to know that just within our timeline, that there's still people alive from the, the horrors of the Holocaust. Complete genocide where a complete, a whole people were convinced and entitled to, to kill and murder and do so much more. Murder, rape, torture out of their, their idea of what they deserved. And it was all perverted from, from reality. It was a whole entire nation was convinced to do that. We're not so far away from this kind of culture. We're not as far away to where we think, oh, that could never happen today. And even within this story, it, we, we could look at it and see, well, this is just an isolated event. But... And let me also say that for for those who think, I can't believe this this is in scripture. God commanded this whole uh, this whole tribe of Benjamin to be nearly wiped out. Thousands of of people were killed because of this incident. All of the tribes of Israel came to pronounce judgment and punishment on this this tribe, to where only six hundred were left alive. So. If you ever think for a moment that God allows stuff like this to happen, we're in a broken world where even within uh, God waiting for judgment day for us to be united back with him, even in this, he did not let it stand by. It's moments like this to where the flood makes a lot of sense to me. The great flood, how could God destroy an entire people? If everyone was acting like this, I could totally see it. And to think that if this was an isolated incident, let's look at another part of Scripture all the way back in Genesis. And it says in this story, Yet he strongly urged them, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. Same, Almost the same exact situation. God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, send angels out ahead uh, as seeming humans to go and see if the sinfulness was as, as uh, wicked as it really was. They were in the, the, the public square, and, uh, and Lot came to take them in so that they wouldn't be out, outside in the public square. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. And before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind them and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now look, I have two daughters who have not had relations with any man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do not do anything to these men because they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Get out of our way. They also said, this one came in as a foreigner and is already acting like a judge. Pause for a moment and see how, how, who are you to tell me that this isn't okay? How dare you project your morals onto me? Who made you judge? You can't judge me like that. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and moved forward to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, from the small to the great, so that they, that they became weary of trying to find the doorway. So we see this super peculiar situation, right? That seems identical to what we read generations later. Generations later, experiencing almost the exact same kind of situation that, that is so bizarre. And I think the most bizarre part of this story is how dude offers his daughters as a replacement. Let me just tell you right now, it, I'll kill anybody here that tries to do something to my daughters. Christian or not, come to my church or not, I'll kill you. <laughs> like, 
And so sorry for the passive threat, but <laughs> but it's just there's no hesitation. And so what we're seeing here is even within even within this bizarre scenario, we see this concept of men having more importance than women. We've come so far, right? We've come so far of putting women and men as equals. And yet, this is kind of a, an opinion. We're now reversing and, and promoting predominantly white men participating in women's sports to win. It, it doesn't make sense uh, when it comes to making women equal, and yet we're putting men in those spots for women to be. Caitlyn Jenner, great. Do your own thing. Woman of the year. Do you, do you not see how the trend of making, of putting man back on a pedestal rather than being equals is already recurring in our culture, in our time? Women, are, are, women that have different opinions than the majority are demonized. What was that, that actress's name that was playing in The Mandalorian? And the minute she had a different opinion than all the men on the set, she was, she was fired. What I'm getting at is even this idea of, of women being belittled in this time and not having the value that they deserved in this time, it's repeating today. And it's right under our noses. And it's because we're not taking the concept of morality serious as a society. And, and what we're seeing is just in this scenario, you're seeing this, this murderous rage coming over sinfulness. I mean, who would have ever thought the desire to, to have sex would turn into this murderous rage? That's what we see in Scripture. And when you, when you look at unbridled perversion, that's what it leads to. And if you dare disagree with it, you will be attacked, you'll be, you'll be condemned, you'll be ostracized. We have to really understand when it comes to morals that sin is truly a darkness. Sin is a darkness. Everyone struggles with sin. But when we take off the barriers, when we take off all bridledness, of sinfulness and let it just continue to grow to where we even pursue it, take off all limits and run after it. It is a darkness that will grow and grow and grow. And it will continue to grow and enslave whatever it is a part of. It truly is a, a slave master that controls and imprisons people. And it's true for an individual and it's even more true for a society. The Bible says that when two or three are gathered together, God's presence is in his midst. How, is it the same when, when two or three are gathered pursuing wickedness and evil? And I want us to grasp, I'm not, and I'm not trying to focus on the idea of sexuality. I'm, I'm trying us to grasp with these stories as, a, as an example that sinfulness will turn into a murderous monster within a society to where if you dare disagree with sinfulness, it will kill you. And I feel like we are so close. We are so close to reaching that as a society, and it's dangerous because if, we, if it's left unchecked, it will continue to grow to something like this. And when I see... When I see any any vivid news article when i see these crazy instances happening just over political crap people being pulled out of cars and beaten over that's just for political views there's the same thing has been happening for uh, people going to uh if you demonstrate for pro-life if you demonstrate for uh for uh, against um, same-sex marriage, if you demonstrate anything like that when it comes to an idea of morality, people are—it's uh, gone beyond just like yelling at each other and disagreeing, but it's turned into pulling them aside and a mob forming and attacking them. Y'all, y'all get what I'm saying? 
And I, I want us to just truly grasp that everything, ch everything changes, and, but everything is the same. And our world is truly just repeating itself until the d day of judgment. And when it comes to true, raw sinfulness, like we see in these stories, we're a lot closer to that than we realize. Like it used to be, I think it's a really funny title that I made because all throughout history, we can look at times where it seemed better than it is now, but every part of history has its own faults. Every part of history has its own uh, sins that was predominant in that, cult, in, that time of his, in that point of time. I want us to grasp that instead of rather focusing on trying to go back to the things the way things were that we need to direct our future to be sustainable as long as it can be and that takes a repentance of heart a repentance as a generation or repentance as a people it starts really just with a repentance as an individual when we look at these stories there's this raw hatred. And what I see is a people that have so much, so much rage that believe they're right. That whole group of, of people that were standing out the door, they all believe they were so right. When we look at the Holocaust, all of the Nazi soldiers believe that they were so right. When we look at all these different th examples of history that we could look at and the people that we can uh, look at now and demonize them they believed at the time that they were so right I want us to take a step back and understand that any moment that we hate and believe that it's right we are only behaving like these people any time that we hate and believe that we are so right. We're behaving just like that. I believe that God is calling us as a people to a deeper level of love. And love is not easy. It is not ooey gooey. It is the hardest thing to do in our world. If love was mushy and gushy and easy, why are so many marriages leading to divorce? It's easy. It's easy. If love is so easy, mushy, gushy, then how come so many parents struggle to connect with their teenagers that they love so much? Love is incredibly difficult. It is hard. It is much easier to hate than it is to love. And so with this message, us understanding really politics and culture to get a grasp of how, how sinfulness operates in both, I want us to take a step back and love our neighbor and seek a deeper level of holiness within our lives that we can, so that we can reflect that kind of light to others around us. Let me be abundantly clear when I'm talking about sinfulness, I'm not talking about the moments where you're trying and fall, where you're trying and fail. I'm talking about the moments where it's unbridled and you just do whatever feels good because you want to love yourself and uh, uh, continue to do whatever feels good. We can love ourselves without doing whatever feels good. I want us to all take a moment to bow our heads and close our eyes. God, I pray that you cause this message to be articulated the right way in every person's heart that has heard it. That it be received with the scope of being brought back to you, striving to find a clearer image of you in our lives and in our society. And we believe, Lord, that we should never assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. So even with whatever opinions and directions that we think of our country, we pray, Lord, for the power of God to intervene and make it better. We pray 
for our nation to be brought to a level of repentance and that you'd cause people to seek your face. We pray, Lord, and repent for the times that we've hated and justified that hate. And we call for you, Lord, to forgive us and help us to forgive those that that have we just don't like, that have done things and said things. Help us to forgive, Lord, and to love well. I pray that you do a greater work inside of us today. And if you're here with every head bowed and eye closed, and this message was speaking to you in a way to where you realize that you need to take repentance in your life seriously, or even more, just uh, more standard, you just need to put Jesus in your life in a more serious way. And that, if that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. If that's you, I want you to just have your own conversation with God and say, I want to take this serious. I want to just come to you, God, and I want to, I want to just understand the way that you work and operate. There's so many things in the Bible that even leave me confused. And I have more questions than answers. But God, I want to understand them. I want to understand your heart. So help me. If you just talk to Jesus and have an authentic conversation with him, that's all you need to, to be made right. If you feel like you're off, you need to get back on track. All you have to do is have that conversation with him. Recognize who he is in your life and what he's done. And make a decision to walk with him. God, I pray that you finish what you started. And I pray that this message grows in our hearts and gives us deeper understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. With that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. And before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Uh, we love y'all. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.